Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Beat My Guest. I'm your host, AJ Mass. If you're new to the show, each week I invite a guest to sit in the hot seat and field questions in a wide variety of topics, earning points for the episode on a scale of 1 to 100. For those of you playing along at home, you have but one task set before you, and that is to see if you can beat my guest. But before you beat my guest, you need to meet my guest. So let's give a warm welcome to today's guest, Andy Greeley. Andy, how are you, sir? Hello, hello, hello. I'm very good. Thank you for having me on today. It is a pleasure having you in our hot seat. Uh, we are always happy when a patron joins us. So thank you for your patronage. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about who you are, what you do, and why you do the things you do the way you do the things you do, and other Temptations references as well. <laughs> um, okay, so I... have uh... Let's see. I'm actually between jobs right now. Um, you know, I recently uh, left a customer service data entry position. My kind of my parents are not doing very well health wise, so I've been uh, actually staying there for the last couple months. Actually, uh, just kind of take care of them, run errands, cook and clean, that kind of stuff. But anyway, I'm uh, also do a lot of trivia, learnedly. I was on Jeopardy about six months ago and tanked on the final. That's the way it goes. That was the game. But yeah. Uh, uh, Excited to be here. What was the uh, question? The the question you missed. <laughs> ah, man. Um, okay. I so know you was, know it. I know you know it. <laughs> yeah. No. It was some. Oh yeah. Exactly. It was uh, something like uh, Remus was the name of one of the twin planets from of this alien race. The category was sci-fi television. And you know, of course, it was Romulus. Who's the Romulans? Because of the. And I knew that from the Roman foundation myth thing, but. I just scrambled myself and couldn't come up with it. Wrote Vulcans. It was sad. Sad. It, it, well, you know, you'll never, never uh, get another question about that. There will be no Star <laughs> Trek uh, references in this one whatsoever. At least I don't think so. Maybe I don't recall. <laughs> we shall see. Hopefully you will live long and prosper. No, that's the Vulcans again. Gosh, start it. Let me explain to you what's going on here. Uh, Andy, for those of you listening for the first time, fill you in on the rules of the game. And if you are listening for the first time, where the heck have you been? There are going to be four rounds of four questions apiece. In each round, I will let you know in advance the categories that we'll be using in order for that round. Before I read each question, you get to lock in how many points you wish each question to be worth. Get it right. You get the points. It is just that simple. And there's also going to be a halftime bonus for 10 points. At the end of the game, you'll field what we call the confidence question, which will be your last chance to try and improve your final score. I will explain all of that when we get there. We cannot get there until we get out of Starport, uh, Starfleet, uh, <laughs> set photon torpedoes to stun or to impress or to really amaze. I, I think that would probably be the best uh, course of action there. Are you ready to go? Is what I'm trying to say. Engage. Engage. I'll make it so. Uh, round one. As always, as usual, point bonus available to you are one, three, five, and seven. Here are the categories we're going to be using today in round one. We're going to kick things off with Fungo. Followed up with what comes next. Move along to music. And we are going to wrap up round one with everybody's new favorite category. Say it with me if you like out there only in, in Florida. Florida. As you know, Andy, uh, this is our alphabet season. And as such, every single answer in today's episode, unless I say otherwise, We'll begin with the same letter of the alphabet. It could be the first name of a person. It could be the last name of a person. It could be one of the words in a title. Today's letter, sir, is the letter T. Terrific! That's my middle name. Literally, the letter T, so good karma. Good karma, indeed. Middle name may be T. Hopefully, 
you'll get the correct answers that start with T. <laughs> and just for sake of clarification here, because we are dealing with letter T, uh, any twos or thes uh, do not necessarily count towards that T count. Uh, I will... I will be more specific if I need to, but uh, we're looking for a meaty T word for each of these answers. None of none of those uh, cheat words. Fungo, sir, is up first. One, three, five, or seven. Oh man, I uh, struggle with this. I did not do very well at your uh, learned league one day about this, so I'll go with three here. Good luck. And here is your question uh, again. This is Fungo. Three clues, all pointing to the same single answer. Clue number one. Chicago's answer to Boston's big dig. Clue number two. Sight at baseball games sure to upset fans. Clue number three. Bush era answer to the mortgage crisis. Okay. Okay. So I have no idea about Chicago's answer to the big dig. That doesn't, that rings zero bells. But. The other two kind of, uh, I kind of got something with the other two. Um, so I think the Bush era, the answer I think is tarp. So it's, you know, something to upset fans at the baseball games, the rain delay and the tarp. And I think it's the troubled assets relief program thing from uh, 2008. So I'll go with that. Tarp is your answer. So Boston, uh, they had this idea to create a tunnel system uh, in their fine city called the big dig and uh oh let's just say uh on time and on budget no no it was not <laughs> uh yeah it took many more years than expected many more dollars than expected uh in chicago they are currently working on the tunnel and reservoir plan it's not to transport cars so much as to uh provide some sort of drainage so that uh chicago doesn't flood but TARP is indeed the acronym there. TARP is the Bush era plan. And as you said, baseball games. If it's raining, bring out the TARP. Boo. Very sad. Wah. Tears would fall just like the raindrops in that instance. But no tears for you, sir, because three points are coming your way. Well done. Excellent start. Should have put uh, more points on that. Um, <laughs> well, good. that's awesome. always the catch-22, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> if only Woody had gone straight to the police, none of this would have happened. Uh, <laughs> all right, sir. We are on the board. We are going to keep this momentum going, we hope. What comes next? Well, what comes next comes next. So what comes next is your uh, wager on what comes next. One, five, or seven. Next wager is seven. Seven points for what comes next. I hope you'll be able to do just as well on this question. And here is that question now. What comes next? 1993, client. 1995, rainmaker. 1997, partner. 1999, what? Well, so I recognize these as John Grisham novels, I think. I think. But what comes in 1999? I don't really know the order of publication or necessarily what comes next. Um, But it would fit with the category letter if the answer was a time to kill. I'm not sure, but I can, I'm just, I don't know, but I'm going to go with that. A time to kill is your answer. So 
part of the battle, perhaps the greatest part of the battle in doing these What Comes Next is figuring out what the heck we're talking about. So I think you uh, handled that first hurdle rather nicely there. These are indeed novels uh, from the mind of John Grisham, uh, all for the most part from his courtroom uh, uh, genre. He has branched out uh, since then to do some other stuff, but he's primarily known for the courtroom stuff. Uh, he has written several books that have a, a T in the title, one of which was uh, The King of Torts, which, <laughs> which was in 2003, not the one we're looking for, uh, and not The Knave of Tarts, which is a completely different thing altogether. <laughs> uh, you would have thought, and I would have thought, quite frankly, that uh, one of his, one of his uh, books would have had the word trial in it somewhere, but uh, no, no, surprisingly. 2016, he wrote a digital short story called Witness to a Trial, so I suppose... Yeah. But uh, I was thinking more, you know, he wouldn't want to be confused with Kafka, maybe. You <laughs> read the time. Uh, a Time to Kill, indeed, Grisham. Unfortunately, sir, uh, the year for that one, he wrote that in the 80s. Uh, it was actually his first book in 89. Uh, we are looking for The Testament. The well, Testament. Oh, my, my dad uh, tried to get me to read that, and I couldn't stand it. I guess that's why I blocked it out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Fair enough. I, I I have been uh, in the past. I was a reader of his uh, of his stuff. I believe I I stopped around the time he uh, started skipping Christmas and doing stuff that wasn't legal stuff, and I never jumped back in there. <laughs> so uh, he did a baseball book. Uh, yeah, Bleachers, I believe it was called. But yeah, weird stuff. I cannot give you the points, but uh, give yourself at least a partial credit pat on the back for knowing what I was referring to. Again, some people wouldn't have gotten that far. Let us move on. Let us move on and hopefully get things back on track. Those are T words. Uh, Music (laughs) is up next. You have uh, one and you have five. Uh, Five. I'll do the five. Five points of music. Good luck. And here's your question. What band's biggest hit? was a 1990 cover of a song originally recorded by five-man electrical band two decades prior. Yeah, music is so hit or miss with me, uh, and I'm pretty sure this is going to be a miss. Well, uh, <sighs> Tears for Fears, that's not it. But that's, it's a T, so that's, that's all I got. Uh, fair enough. It is indeed a T. A fine duet uh, for the most part. Oh, they, have, they have other instruments in there, but it's basically uh, Kurt Smith and Roland Earl Zobel, and I've, I've met them in person and seen them live. So, uh, good guys. Uh, at least, you know, they put on a good show for, for people who got free tickets <laughs> 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 and were allowed into the meet and greet. But yes, my wife was actually pregnant with our son when we went to see them. We thought perhaps uh, as he grew up, he would have an affinity towards Tears for Fears, but no, no. Not at all. Yeah, well, Although he does play extreme. drums. So, uh, I don't nice. know. Uh, none of that is important to this because Tears for Fears is not <laughs> the answer. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, this band uh, in 1990 released a live album uh, and they called it Five Man Acoustical Jam, kind of as an homage to uh, the Five Man Electrical Band who had a big hit with a song called Signs. Signs, signs, everywhere signs, blocking up the scenery. Do this, don't do that. Can't you read the signs? Trust me, it was a big hit in 1990. <laughs> or an otherwise, or an otherwise, a uh, hard rocking band uh, named after an inventor, Tesla. Wow. Yeah, never would have got there. <laughs> See you recoil at the mention of Tesla. <laughs> I'm shocked. Well, uh, you know, you, you got two wrong in a row there, so we're not even alternating. 
It's, it's an alternating current joke. <laughs> Thanks. Just directly, direct loss. So. There you go. Hey, two, three, four. Uh, let's move on to uh, one point for our final question in round one. And uh, I think a lot of people would agree with your choice here because we are going to that state down south only in Florida. Are you prepared, sir? Oh, see, I, I've never once gotten this right uh, listening. Uh, so, uh, I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the anecdotes. <laughs> well, you never know, but let us see. <clears throat> Here is your one point. And it's only one point, so hey. What's the big loss if you get it wrong? Only in Florida. 51-year-old Daniel Kestner was arguing with an irate and clearly inebriated individual when he noticed an Orlando Sentinel reporter recording the incident with his phone. Kestner then turned his anger to the reporter with curses and a physical assault. From where had Kessner just been asked to leave? Hmm. All right. So what was Kessner kicked out of? Ah, you know, it uh, could be a million things. There's one thing that popped into my head, but it's not safe for podcasts. I shouldn't say that. Um, I will. <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, TGI Fridays. Who knows? That's so basic. That's more of an Ohio man kind of thing. So. <laughs> So it's probably not that, but let's go with that. TGI Friday. I was wondering what potential wrong answers people might come up with. I myself probably would have gone with Target. (laughs) Thinking that might might be a fun answer. But no, uh, actually, this just happened recently, uh, earlier in the month of June, which is when we were recording this. Uh, It's probably going to go up in July. But nevertheless, uh, not too long ago. uh, Yeah, I watched the video of this. There's a video of a man who is being asked by security to uh, throw away his uh, can of beer. Yes, can of beer. uh, Because he is not allowed to bring outside beverages into this uh, event. Uh, He argues until his wife comes running out and basically drags him by the ear and throws it in the garbage can for him and says, come inside, it's about to start. Within about two minutes, he is back outside having been uh, just tossed. Uh, (laughs) He was clearly not right for this, but, uh, you know, what else would you expect from a Trump rally? (laughs) Yes, Uh, this was the... I'm surprised uh, they don't allow beer in there. I mean... yeah. Well, I think you can purchase inside. You just can't bring your own. Uh, This was where Trump was announcing he was uh, running for president uh, for a second term. Uh, I don't know why Daniel Kessner had been kicked out. He was already outside, but he was arguing with this man who we had just seen uh, run in. Uh, The the, the drunk man comes out and starts screaming at the security guard saying, that's it. I'm a liberal now. I'm a liberal now. You guys suck. I'm not voting for you. Glad that that, that's where you draw the line. Uh, Uh, but yeah, he saw he was being filmed and he went into, uh, curse out the reporter because of course he's fake news and the enemy of the people. And, uh, Oh, 2020 cannot come soon enough. And, uh, please let that be enough. Please. please. That's a great question though. Yeah. That's uh, very good. All the hints were there. Yeah. Let's make the hot seat great again. Shall we? (laughs) (laughs) Three points. You were not shut out in the first round. That is great news. Sometimes people come into the hot seat and they, uh, you know, they, they, uh, you know, do that thing to the bed that would require me to uh, bleep the word. So uh, you have not done that. You got three points. Well done. How are you feeling now that round one is over? Uh, you know, sweating. It's the hot seat, though, so it's fine. Yeah, it's, 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 it's normal. It's the new normal. Uh, round two coming up 
Andy, uh, point values, as you know, are going to increase now to two, four, six, and eight. And here are what the categories are going to be for this round. We're going to kick things off with a literature, followed up with history, move along to audio hodgepodge, which admittedly is a bit of a lifestyle. And we're going to wrap up round two in the first half with science. Okay. Literature's on tap, so Andy, two, four, six, or eight. Eight points. Eight points. We are a heavy reader, are we? Uh, heavy enough. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> heavy enough, indeed. It must be a hardcover book if it's heavy. No way. Who knows? Uh, here is your eight-point literature question. The mysterious U-N-O-N invites a group of guests to Soldier Island in what oft-mimicked novel from 1939? The mysterious U-N-O-N invites people to an island in 1939. Hmm. Well, I got it. Just don't really know. I'm pouring through things. It's oft mimicked. When Owen, maybe that's a clue. Ah, I don't even know. I'm going to go with Agatha Christie. I'm going to go with Ten Little Indians. Ten Little Indians from Agatha Christie is your answer. So, I don't know. It was 1930s and... Uh... The state of mystery writing was not nearly as in the mainstream as it is today, although people like a good mystery. Uh, I don't know if anyone could get away with naming their protagonist U.N.O.N., which essentially is unknown. (laughs) Unknown. Uh, That's a bit on the nose. Uh, (laughs) Probably more for like an R.L. Stein or Hardy Boys kind of thing there. Uh, (laughs) Than for grown-ups, but uh, the plot of this mystery has pretty much been repeated time and time again, where you get a bunch of people together, somebody dies, who's the murderer, other people die. I mean, you've seen it in uh, Clue, uh, the mm-hmm. movie, seen it in uh, Murder by Death, which makes fun of uh, murder mysteries. And uh, this is indeed an Agatha Christie novel. Unfortunately... You chose the wrong one, Mm. and then there were none. There we go. Jeez. But yes, even she repeated herself by. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, so close, so close. I feel for you on that one. Hey, that's all right. It's the way the game goes. Yeah, sometimes the uh, coin comes up tails instead of heads. And in a T episode, you would think that would count, but no. No, it did not. Uh, history is up next. Two, four, or six, sir. Let's go six. Six points for history. Good luck. And here is your question. Born Isabella Bomfrey in 1797, this former slave became an outspoken advocate for temperance and women's rights after getting her freedom. In 2016, it was announced she would appear on a new design of the $10 bill. Who is it? On the new design of the, the $10 bill? $10 bill. 1797. Okay. Oh, so there are a couple of possible answers here. I'm just going to have to flip the coin and hope it comes up tails. And that's the that T works, hopefully. So it could be Sojourner Truth, or I think it could be Harriet Tubman. And I'm going to go, so $10 bill, you said? $10 bill. All right. So I think Harriet Tubman supposed to appear on the new design for the $20 bill to replace Jackson. <sighs> I, Sojourner Truth, I don't know. I'll go with that, though. 
Okay, so Journer Truth is your answer. So you are indeed correct. The uh, Harriet Tubman, which I think some people might have said if uh, they answered too quickly on this one, uh, is indeed going to be. We're still waiting, hopefully someday. Eventually, uh, you know, we have the best dollars, the best bills. Um, Yeah, those plans are some, some, for some reason, I can't figure out why, on hold. Uh, Harriet Tubman is supposed to be on the 20. And in the same... Uh, spirit of inclusion of women and uh, women's rights and women's suffrage uh, on the back of the back of the ten dollar bill, not on the front, but on the back of the ten dollar bill, there is going to be uh, or supposed to be a collection of women who were key in the women's rights and suffrage movement. You got your Susan B. Anthony's and the like, and one of those women, former slave Isabella Bomfrey, who changed her name to Sojourner Truth. Well done. Six points for you, sir. Hmm. I didn't know about her background as a uh, suffrage advocate. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah <clears throat> she was she was very much. In fact, she was uh, she got into a lot of dispute uh, with some of the uh, other people of her time because she was she wanted to have women and men get the right to vote at the same time. Uh, she didn't she didn't think it was something that men first and then we'll deal with women as a lot of her uh, male peers of the uh, of the abolitionist movement uh, agreed uh, they thought would be the way so she she, she was like uh, way in on the ground floor of that movement six points is pretty good six points yeah. is pretty good we're gonna move on to audio hodgepodge now well that was the right. worst segue ever but I don't always have one <laughs> uh, audio hodgepodge either two or four on this one what do you think you're gonna go with here Four points, please. Four points. So here's how Audio Hodgepodge works. I am going to read you a clip. After I read that for you, I'm going to play a little clip. When you're done listening to the clip, the idea is you're going to have the answer to the question that I give you. You're going to be able to figure it all out, put it all together, get your four points, and everybody will live happily ever after the end. Uh, (laughs) Are you ready for your uh, four-point Audio Hodgepodge? I'm ready for it. Okay, and for this one, Andy, I am saying otherwise. Uh, the answer does not need to have a T in it, for the T is in the question itself. And here is that question. All you need to do for me is to answer who is singing this song entitled I Talk to the Trees. He is singing this almost 25 years before his first Oscar nomination. I talk to the trees But they don't listen to me I talk to the stars But they never hear me The breeze hasn't time To stop and hear what I say I talk to them all in vain. So that was 25 years before his for before an Oscar nomination. Before his first Oscar nomination. Yes. Before his first Oscar. Wow, I have no idea. Like it just, I can't place that voice, and I don't recognize the song. I don't know. Frank Sinatra. That's nothing. That's not the answer. I'll go with it. Well, Considering that you're not uh, restrained by the T's, uh, you know, it, 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 yeah. it certainly could be. Uh, so at least <laughs> that's not hanging you up there. Is that your answer? Oh, God, sure. Yeah, that's, that's nowhere. It's not even in the right. 
not in the ballpark, not even in the right sport, but that's all. (laughs) Well, uh, this was a film that someone thought was a good idea. Uh, (laughs) It is a Western musical film. This is the infamous Paint Your Wagon, uh, which was a film that starred Lee Marvin. And it's a musical. <laughs> Dirty Dozen, Lee Marvin, tough guy. <laughs> um, with, with songs such as I Talk to the Trees, which was uh, sung by a character named Pardoner. <laughs> yeah, this... I. I I think this was actually nominated for an Oscar, but, but for something lesser like costume design or something like that, because it was a musical. They did it. But this was from 1969. It wasn't until about the mid 90s when uh, director Clint Eastwood received his first nomination. Wow. Uh, yeah, that was wow. Clint Eastwood. Wow. That was Clint Eastwood. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> singing, singing about talking to the trees. <laughs> He was mellower back then, I guess. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Yeah. Uh, now, now he talks to the chair. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. I can't believe I pulled that out for the recesses of my memory. Well, that was I had repressed it long enough. Uh, can't give you the points there. <laughs> can't give you the paint there either. Uh, two points is left. Science is left. All right. What do you say? Look, shall we try this? Let's have that. For two points, here's your science question. Medieval Germans named this substance after wolves because of its voracious ability to destroy tin during the smelting process. What is it? All right, so chemistry. Not super strong here, but I think I can get it from, like, the the etymology. Uh, I know that W, or wolframite, W is the symbol, and wolframite is an alternative name of the element tungsten. So I'm going to go with that and Put my tail between my legs and sneak, slink out of this round. <laughs> oh, like the wolf that you are. Yes, this is a substance. It sometimes uh, shows up when the smelters are smelting that tin, uh, and it just kind of ruins the entire process because tin that is uh, mixed with this kind of disappears and gets eaten alive, and all that's left is uh, the Swedish word for heavy stone. Tungsten. Tungsten. Yes, it's for sure. He's a tungsten. <laughs> I'm allowed to do this because I have Swedish ancestry. Uh, tungsten. Oh. Tungsten is the correct answer. Yes, W is its symbol because of its uh, wolfram roots, but we know it better as tungsten. Well done, well done, and well done. Uh, wolfram, mm. we of course know better as uh, part of the, uh, the evil law firm that was on the TV show Angel, Wolfram and Hart. Oh. I was going to say the the math software. No, 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 I'm not. I'm bad. At, I'm bad. At, I don't know either. <laughs> Hopefully, there's no angel questions coming up. Yeah, <laughs> I've just ruined exactly. it. Uh, well done. You got a grand total of eight points in that round out of a possible twenty. We're going to add those eight to the three you had coming into the round, and you are heading into halftime, sir, with eleven points. Not too shabby. Double digits always a good place to be at the half. And here's what's happening at the halftime. Uh, I'm going to read you a question. It is our only partial credit question of the game. When I'm done with the question, I'll give you some time to think about your answer, or shall I say answers to the question. And then we will pause for a very brief, brief break for a word from our non-existent sponsors. When we return from that break, (laughs) the idea is you're going to have 
all of your answers ready to go to the following question. And here it is. According to Top 40 Weekly, which bases its lists on chart success, radio airplay, and album sales, there are seven artists who start with a T that were among the top 100 artists of the 1990s. For two points each, I'm going to ask you to name for me any five of those seven T artists, keeping in mind A's, ands, and thes that lead in do not count. Uh, and if we're dealing with an artist who has an individual name, it is the first name that shows up on this list and not the last name. So with all that in mind, take a little bit of time to think about your answers to this question, and we'll be back after the break. If you'd like to support Beat My Guest, helping to make more episodes like this possible, please consider becoming a patron, just like Matthew, Chris, Terry, and many others who have joined since the start of the season. Check out patreon.com slash beatmyguest for details. And now back to me for the second half of this week's episode. And welcome back to Beat My Guest. My guest this week is Andy Greeley. When we last left Andy, he was hitting on 11 points, working on the following halftime bonus question according to Top 40 Weekly which bases its list upon chart success, radio airplay, and album sales. There are seven artists who begin with AT, which is very appropriate for the T episode. Seven artists who are among the top 100 artists of the 1990s. For two points each, I have asked Andy to name for me any five of these seven artists. No A, ands, or thes. And for first name T... Not last name, although I suppose if it's a double T, that would still qualify under first name T. Sir, whenever you're ready, let me know what you got. Oh, this is such a weak category for me. Um, and the halftime lists are, are tough also. Uh, for some reason, my brain locks up. It's hard to too many, too many choices. I have found that all season long, especially with the letter restriction, for some reason makes it harder for people who might be uh, more uh, inclined to free associate when they're not uh, under these restraints. And yet here we are. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fine. I'm going to know them all too. When you say them, I only have like three. I don't even have five. Well, give me the three. Maybe by the time yeah, you sure. say them, you might have uh, jogged uh, something about a click. You never know. It may have happened. Okay. Let's go with uh, tears for fears. My wrong answer from round one, even though they were bigger in the eighties, uh, TLC. Tina Turner had a couple big hits in the 90s, but I don't know if that would qualify her. Um, but I'll go with it. That's all I've got. I'm sorry. Oh, don't I've, apologize to me. There's, it's your points. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my score stays the same no matter what you say. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, let us see how you did. I, yeah, it, this is actually not a very easy list, to to be honest. Uh, I was actually surprised. Uh, I, I was pleasantly surprised that there were seven, which means I could ask the question. Seeing the answers, woo, it was a bit surprising. But anyway, we're going to work our way up the list from the uh, one that is uh, lowest, which means highest number, but lowest on the list. It's always hard to explain to people when you're talking. Uh, at number 81 on the top 100 for the 90s. Number 81 was a side project, and yet I think just based on the charitable efforts of their song Hunger Strike alone, uh, yeah. Temple of the Dog at number 70. It's a number group, but the number starts with a T, so I have to include it. 311. Mm, okay. At number 50 on the list, they were crazy, they were sexy. 
They were burning down their boyfriend's houses, but they were cool. <laughs> TLC. You ain't too proud to beg for two points, sir. Well done. Uh, so no shout out here. Unfortunately, Tears for Fears, Tina Turner, neither one made the list. We have at number 29, the cornflake girl herself, Tori Amos. At number 21, a very sober group, Tool. <laughs> at number 19, uh, my homies from Queens, a tribe called Quest. And coming at number four, he was big, very big. All of California loved him. West Coast, in effect, for Tupac Shakur. Wow. Well, one answer, two points. <laughs> Not all, Yeah, all eyes on you now for <laughs> a score at the end of the half. Which is 13. Uh, maybe that's not a lucky number to some, but it is nevertheless a better score than 11, which is what you had coming into halftime. So all in all, I can't say that you did a bad job there. Round three, sir. Ready. Andy, in round three, as I'm sure you know, the point values, they're going to stay the same at two, four, six, and eight. However, all those categories, they're going to be a little bit different. And this is what we are changing those categories up to. We're going to kick things off with sports. We're going to move along to movies, follow it up with Who Done It, and we are going to wrap up round three with analogies. But first things are first. We have sports. What say ye, sir? Mm, let's go with uh, two here. Not very confident that I'll know this. Two points for sports. Good luck. <clears throat> and here is this question. In 1990. This member of the New York Knicks hit a game-winning shot against the Chicago Bulls with just one-tenth of a second left on the clock. As a result of this controversial play, the NBA now has a rule preventing such shots from counting, and this rule is named after the player who made that shot. Who is the player? I was just... saw some video about this. Like, now you, you can't take a shot unless there's like 0.9 seconds on the, on the clock or something like that. What was the guy's name? So New York Nick, 1990. Indeed. Uh, Patrick Tewing. No, that's. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to kick myself. But yeah, I've just got nothing. Sorry. Um, yeah, sorry. No, not even a uh, uh, Tim Smith. There's a T there. There's a T there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. this was uh, a very controversial play. Basically, they threw the inbounds pass in. He caught the ball, turned around, launched the shot. It went in, and the Chicago Bulls went absolutely nuts because there is no way, they said, that you can catch, turn, release all in one-tenth of a second. And when you watch the replay... Uh, it's clear the clock did not start immediately upon his touching the ball. So even though the NBA said, no, the rule is uh, perfectly fine, everything is good, it counts, in the offseason they changed the rule. Uh, and now if there is 0.3 on the clock or more, three-tenths of a second is the amount of time they've determined uh, you can catch, turn, shoot. If you do it all in one motion... Three-tenths of a second, the shot is good. Under three-tenths of a second, all you can do is throw the ball in and maybe swat at it and tip it and hope that it goes in. None of that mattered to Trent Tucker. Mm. Trent Tucker. The Trent Tucker rule still in, pl in place today, which is why when there's .2 on the clock, they know they get, they got to tip it in, and, and that, that rule is now pretty standard. The Trent Tucker rule cannot give you the points, but... Did it even jog your memory once you heard the name, or is it just... No, but I do uh, remember just seeing uh, some kind of video on YouTube about that rule, so... 
Movies are up next. You have the four, you have the six, you have the A. What you got, sir? Mm, let's go with four on this one. Four points for movies. Good luck. And here's the question. Francis Ford Coppola originally planned to make a musical, not about the trees, but about the automobile industry, eventually abandoning the concept and shooting a more traditional biopic on the subject instead in 1988. What was the full six-word title of the film he ultimately made? Okay. Wow. Are you aware of Francis Ford Coppola's plans to make a musical about the automobile industry? I, I was not aware of Francis Ford Coppola's plans to make a film uh, about the automobile industry. Um, I know there's, there's at least one T-word in the six-word title. 1988. Okay, so he got so frustrated with it, he made the Godfather 3. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, I just nothing is even ringing any big bells here. That's frustrating. To live and die in L.A. That's not even cool. <laughs> it's a six word, sort of. Uh, sort of, sort of. L.A. is one sort of thing. Uh, no, unfortunately, that is not uh, the title. Yeah, this fascinating to me. I, I, I remember the film. I've been to the Coppola Vineyard in uh, Napa, and uh, the car from the film that they used to shoot is actually one of the uh, exhibits at his winery. It was a film. It starred Jeff Bridges, and it was called Tucker, The Man oh. and His Dream. Okay, so I got Tucker. I just didn't know the subtitle. I never would have gotten there. Yeah, having just come off of a of a Trent Tucker question, I wasn't going to let you get away with just answering <laughs> Tucker in case that was what jogged your memory uh, there. I can be cruel sometimes. Yeah. No, that's 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 why. I, thank you, sir. May I have another? Because you see, it wasn't just about Tucker the man. No, 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 no. It was the man <laughs> and his dream. <laughs> Those seatbelts and all that. Yeah. Yeah, a real a real life story about uh, a guy named Tucker who uh, wanted to do the car his way, and yet when the the big companies got a hold of his designs, they started changing them and wouldn't let him do it his way. And well, it doesn't end well. You have two questions left in this round, the two highest scoring questions in this round. So there's still plenty of time for progress here. We have the six, we have the eight. Which would you like to use for Who Done It? I'll go with uh, I'll go with eight. Let's see what happens. Eight points for Who Done It. Good luck. And here we go. P.T. Barnum recruited him to join his circus in 1843 when he was only five years old. He'd grow to become a world-famous performer whose 1863 wedding reception was hosted by Abraham Lincoln at the White House. Who Done It? So one so, of P.T. Barnum's attractions. Okay, so I think I've got it. Um, uh, so... Uh, especially because it goes with the letters. Here's where the, you know, the letter restriction actually helps. Um, I'm pretty sure this is Tom Thumb. I mean, I don't know any of those details about the wedding reception or being recruited at age five, but I think I'll, I'll go with that. Tom Thumb. Tom Thumb is your answer. Well, uh, P.T. Barnum stumbled across this intrepid lad at the age of five. His name was Charles Stratton. And he uh, was about two feet tall. Uh, he would later grow a little bit more. Not too much more. Uh, he was a tiny, tiny guy. And uh, yes, there was a English folklore uh, with the name of a very tiny person by the name of Tom Thumb. So P.T. Barnum said, congratulations, you are General Tom Thumb. And 
Eight points for you, sir. Well done. Uh, I certainly knew the name, and I knew he was a tiny person, and I knew he was a, a circus performer. I had no idea that he got married to a fellow uh, member of Barnum Circus, and Abraham Lincoln said, come to the White House for the wedding reception. He They were that well-known. <laughs> need a break from the Civil War or something. It's a lot better than Kanye uh, <laughs> and his... Uh, <laughs> iPhone uh, password incident. That's all I got to say. <laughs> oh, me, oh, my. Oh, my, oh, me. Well done, sir. Eight points for you. And there's still a chance for one more question in this round. Uh, six points is what's left. Analogies is up. Do you think you're ready to crack the code here? <laughs> I'm not that good at this uh, category, so we'll see. Uh, here is your six-point analogies question, sir. Good luck. Ford is to Kavanaugh as Hill is to what? Ford is to Kavanaugh. Could you spell Kavanaugh? K-A-V-A-N-A-U-G-H. Oh, man. The, yeah, the lateral thinking here is uh, hmm, I envy people who could uh, come up with this easier than me. Um, okay, so, so maybe it's not a person but like a location or something or um, a company. Oh, oh man. Let's go with Tucker. <laughs> I just have nothing. Yeah. Uh, Tucker, uh, the answer and your dream, I suppose. <laughs> uh, no, no, sadly, that is not the correct answer, but I think you knew that. Uh, so, yeah, we had had, uh, prior to this uh, discussion about automobiles, we had a uh, discussion about Abraham Lincoln and the White House, which is president. So, of course, when you hear Ford... Your brain is going to go to automobiles. It is going to go to presidents. It is neither in this case. We are talking about Christine Blasey Ford, who was the accuser of Supreme Court Justice nominee oh, Brett Kavanaugh. Sometimes you can't see the forest right. or the trees. You talk to the trees. <laughs> yes, Anita Hill is to who? We're talking, of course, about Clarence. Thomas is the answer there. Oh, it's easy once you know it. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, I just I didn't know there was a that you in Brett Kavanaugh's name, so I just like that's why I can't yeah. spell Kavanaugh. Well. <laughs> well, spelling's not important. You know that. The <laughs> <a> Jeopardy rules. <laughs> as long as it doesn't change the pronunciation, you're all good, sir. Eight points in that round. You got one. If you're going to only get one, get the one that's worth the most points. Well done on that front. Eight points. I'm going to add to the 13 you had coming into round three. And we are actually, believe it or not, sitting with a fairly healthy 21 points as we head into the final round of our game. Round four. The point values, sir. Oh, they're going up. This is the highest scoring round of the game. And uh, three, five, seven, and nine are what's on the table for you. And here are the categories that are on the table, beginning with... Mashup. Everyone loves a good mashup. Following that up with television. And we're going to move along to Potpourri. And we are going to wrap up round four and the second half with Around the World. But the mashup is up first. Three, five, seven, or nine. I'm just going to go with three. Like these... These can be even more abstruse to me than your analogies. So. <laughs> you know, you never know. Anything is possible. And, uh, well, actually, not, not anything. I mean, <laughs> you're anything the, I mean, beginning with C, though. I mean, you're, you're either going to get it right 
or you're going to get it wrong. Uh, your mileage may vary. Uh, the mashup, of course, is two answers smooshed together by a common word or syllable. Good luck. And here is your clue. This congressman turned actor from Tennessee actually got his start as a lawyer. Although he loved to wax poetic about a doctor. Doctor. Can't you see he's burning, burning? Wow. Okay. So the senator turned actor from Tennessee is Fred Thompson. Who is the poet, though? Burning, burning. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm going down the wrong track. Um, let's... Sorry. Uh, oh, God. Oh, going to kick myself. Who wrote about a doctor? Oh, but I just think nothing is coming to my mind for that. Um, I have uh, Fred Thompson's Song of Innocence. I don't know. That's not even <laughs> it. Some weird William Blake something. I got nothing. All right. Uh, well, uh, certainly you don't got nothing. I mean, in terms of the point, <laughs> you may have nothing, but in terms of the answer, you don't got nothing. Indeed, the congressman turned actor from Tennessee who got his start as a lawyer was Fred Dalton Thompson. I would have given you credit without saying Dalton, but that was his middle name. So Fred Dalton Thompson is that half. What was the other half? You know, just because someone likes to wax poetic doesn't mean that they're a poet. They could be writing song lyrics. And in this case, we were talking about a doctor. Doctor, can't you see he's burning, burning? Big hit from the Thompson Twins. We were looking for Fred Dalton Thompson Twins. Very good. Man, I love it. I never would have gotten it there. But. Uh, here's to future days. Uh <laughs> Well, your points have fallen into the gap, my friend, but that's okay. Television is up next. You have the five, you have the seven, you have the nine. All the points still on the board. What do you say? Five. Five points for television. And good luck to you, sir. An ABC sitcom from the TGIF era of programming featured a pair of identical twins who on the show were separated at birth. Who played these girls? TV is such a hit or miss category for me. Just like sports or music. Um, who played these twin girls? TGI Friday sitcom. It's obviously not the Olsen twins. That I don't even think that was a Friday show. Yeah, I will. I've got nothing. I'm not even going to venture a meaningless uh, guess that begins with T because I just don't have anything. Okay, fair enough. Indeed, Full House, which featured the Olsen twins as playing one sister, <laughs> two twins playing one sister, so that doesn't really apply. Uh, but that was indeed a TGIF-era uh, sitcom. Full House definitely aired on there. Uh, Family Matters is another show from that era. There were, there were a lot of shows from that era, including one called Sister, Sister, which mm. was a show about, as I said, identical twins played by the duo of Tia and Tamara Maori. Nice. Never would have gotten there. You know, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who are going, uh, duh, and a lot of people <laughs> going, I'm right there with you. I would have just said Olsen twins and <laughs> hope for the best. <laughs> Can I give you the points there? But again, you're doing an excellent job of wagering the low values on the ones you get wrong. So <laughs> <laughs> let's keep that going, I guess. Don't, just don't get them wrong. <laughs> That's the thing, yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, potpourri, seven or nine. Let's do seven. Seven points. Good luck. Here is your question. This spice is often used in risotto, but more frequently than its flavor, 
Its ochre color makes it a source of clothing dye in Asia. What is it? Oh, well, okay, so spice. That often goes in risotto. Also used as a dye. Uh, okay, I, this is like a faddish kind of health, health spice. Um, I have some in my cabinet right behind me. Um, I think, I didn't know this was used as a dye, but I think the answer is turmeric. Turmeric is your answer. You know, there's this uh, thing that's hot on Twitter this week, which means it won't be by the time this episode airs. But nevertheless, uh, there's this company that uh, sells spices, and apparently the text, the the flavor text on on this are are fascinating odes to things that uh, have nothing to do with the spice itself. Uh, (laughs) It's getting a lot of play, including the one that was getting the most play is the one that expresses that uh, the spice in this envelope is much like a shirtless Viggo Mortensen uh, slashing through <laughs> because they have conflated, of course, Aragorn with tarragon, uh, <laughs> lovely tea spice, which is not the answer to this question. I just thought, like, they, you know, tell the story. Uh, turmeric is the correct answer. Well done. Turmeric powder used, especially in a lot of Hindu garments, festivals, and all that stuff. It's a bright, bright yellow. Right. Well done. Seven points to you. Look at that. I have to put a little check mark and circle it and change the scoreboard. You're making me okay. work, man. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> uh, ashamed. Excellent. Excellent. Well, one question left. It is going to be our nine point question. It is around the world. How is your geography these days? Uh, well, hopefully worth nine points. <laughs> well, uh, we shall see. Yeah. Good luck. And here is your Question. Shanana Gushmao became this nation's first president in 2002, as it became the second new member of the United Nations this century. What country are we looking at? Okay. So this is a former Portuguese colony that's kind of a part of, that was a part of Indonesia, the state of Portuguese colony when that uh, country gained its independence. Um, so the answer is uh, Timor-Leste or East Timor. Timor-Leste or East Timor is your answer. Uh, it all depends on whether you're feeling like speaking French today or not, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> so uh, that's a fun name to say. I hope I'm saying it right. Shanana yeah. Gushmao. Like uh, yeah, they uh, got their independence. They said, uh, hey, we'd like to join the United Nations. And it'll be really cool because we will be the first new member of the United Nations this century, and then Switzerland decided after all these years, nah, we'd like to join, and they scooped them by 17 days. Oh, oh that's that's oh. just that's just petty. They oh, couldn't let them have it. You waited this long, Switzerland. Really? Really? Timor Lest is the correct answer. Well done. Well done indeed. Two questions right in that round, but they were the highest two, which means you got 16 out of a possible 24, almost doubling your score because you had 21 coming in. Uh, that gives you a, an incredibly healthy 37 points as we enter the confidence question. As you know, this is your last chance, Andy, to try and improve your final score. Oh, boy. Only one question is before you. Only one answer is required. I will give you the category, and you must, must wager between one and ten points. Get it right, and I will add it to your score, and happily so. I am your friend. <laughs> <laughs> However, Andy, if you get it wrong, Oh, if you get it wrong, Andy, not only will you lose those precious points, but you are going to be placed on top of branch and left there with nothing to do 
except to talk to the trees <laughs> all the live long day. Oh, that song's getting in my head for weeks. <laughs> I think I think I know what I'm playing again at the end of the episode. Uh, so, <laughs> so I ask you, sir, on a scale of one to ten, how confident are you in? Well, I don't know. I'll have to check the categories you provided me with. That's right, folks. This season, all of the confidence questions are provided graciously by my hot seat guests. And Andy has done so. I have selected. How confident are you in the Seattle Mariners? Oh, well, well, well. Okay. Um, oh, it's going to be so obscure, too. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I'll just go with three points. If I get it right, if I get it right, it'll top me out at 40. 34 Indeed. is not too bad if I miss it. There's no really uh, disastrous outcome here. Very true. <laughs> Three points. Excellent. I wish you luck. I wish you well. I wish you just asked the question already, AJ. Here is your three-point confidence question in the Seattle Mariners. On June 8th, 2012, six Seattle pitchers combined to no-hit the Los Angeles Dodgers. What is the only one of those six pitchers who fits today's T episode? Oh, wow. Okay. So 2012, I, I remember this game. I'm trying to think of their relievers. I don't, I can't think of a starter they had at the time whose name started with a T, but I probably totally off base. Um, oh, it's frustrating. Ah, I, uh, <laughs> it's not coming to me. Um, let's go with Thompson. Yeah, I just, I can't think of it. Thompson is your answer. Yeah. So, yeah, I will say I, I was looking very hard to see if I could come up with a Tom Pachurk question because that's one of the <laughs> oldie, oldie-timey Seattle Mariners who I, I, mm. I enjoyed watching as a child. But uh, no, no, I really couldn't come up with anything there. And the and the first players that they selected in the expansion draft were too obscure for even me a huge baseball uh, nerd to subject you to. That would have been unfair, even by my own devious <laughs> sadistic standards. So yeah, this is 2012, a very, uh, very fun game. Uh, one of the only two times when uh, a no hitter was uh, accomplished by this many pitchers. The Astros did it as well. Kevin Millwood started the game, went six yeah. innings and didn't throw a whole lot of pitches, but uh, they said, you know, Kevin, it's time to go. He was uh, relieved by Charlie Furbush. Remember <laughs> Charlie Furbush? <laughs> Just because of his name. That's a great name. So that's the only yeah. reason why I remember. Uh, then Stephen Pryor came in. Lucas Lutke. And uh, Brandon League, who actually was a decent reliever uh, for a number of years. He closed out the eighth inning. And then on for the ninth inning. And the final three outs. And the save. Reliever Tom... Wilhelmson. Tom Wilhelmson uh, was the answer we were looking for. The wow. T in the no-hitter. Oh, that's good. Good question. Ah, Thank you for the opportunity to ask a, a devious baseball question. I do enjoy them, so I can't do them every week, but thank you. Unfortunately, uh, I also will uh, thank myself to those three points, <laughs> snatch them up, uh, place them in a uh, squirrel hole at the very top of a uh, very uh, tall oak. I'm not going to put in a sequoia. That would just be cruel. Uh, 34 points is your final total, sir. Uh, not too bad. Hopefully, uh, regardless of your score value, your entertainment value was sky high. Uh, how are you feeling now that all is said and uh, done? Oh, no, I'm ready to sing to the trees. I mean, uh, I'm good. 
Thank you for having me. That was fun. Excellent. My pleasure. Anything else you'd like to uh, pimp, plug, uh, shout out to uh, the the floor, the forum, the uh, the podium, as they say, is yours for uh, a, a scant few moments more. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, you know, I the spotlight. Uh, I'm starting to sweat even more in the hot seat. No, I don't have anything, but uh, once again, have a good one, AJ. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Eddie. It was a pleasure. Thank you all for listening, and we will be back next time. You can count on it. We'll see you then. Take care. Bye-bye. Did you beat our guest, or did our guest beat you? Tell us all about it on Twitter at BMGPod. Also, please review and rate us on iTunes. And if you liked what you've heard, spread the word. This has absolutely not been a Mark Goodson, Bill Todman production. Come true. I can see us on an April night Looking out across a rolling farm Having supper in the candlelight Walking later, arm and arm